0: Uh, Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians 4, Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11, and before we jump into the text, uh, I want to just open up with a word of prayer, because we're going to be dealing with uh, a subject matter uh, that often is avoided uh, in the pulpit. I know that I have avoided it, not because I don't believe in it, but because every time I've preached on it, um, stressful things have happened to me, which is the issue of spiritual warfare. And the reason we're going to be talking about this is because Paul is moving us through a, a, a series of uh, realities around the things that enslave us versus the freedom that we have in Christ. And he's already revealed for us the, the fact that we are a people that are under Scripture imprisons everything under sin. And therefore, everyone that's under the law finds himself imprisoned under sin. And he moves even further, as we're going to see today, that behind the... The, the age in which we live, this passing age for the new age has come in Jesus, uh, but that everyone that is under sin, even under the law, actually find themselves under a system of powers and principalities and darkness uh, that is behind what can be seen, but is being experienced even by those that have no idea that they're being enslaved by it. And so I want us to be... Uh, covered by the Holy Spirit right now. I want us to be, have our hearts attuned to what God has to say to us uh, because we live in an age that is so marked by skepticism uh, that we have lost our ability and believe me, I promise you Satan is quite content with us not believing in the devil uh, because it allows him to work within the church Uh, powerfully without us knowing it and really what Paul is focusing on is the enemy's work within the community of faith and I want us to be aware of who our enemy is and the victory that we have in Christ and how it is that we can develop discernment on how to engage in this battle so let's pray father we thank you so much for the gospel we thank you for the victory that we have in you Jesus for Jesus on the cross of Calvary The word declares that you made a public spectacle of the powers and the principalities of darkness, that you dethroned them, and that you as victor means that we are dealing now with a defeated enemy. But because he's defeated, the enemy is even more dangerous, for he has been mortally wounded. And so, Lord, I pray that we would see as a church the necessity of abiding in you, the dangers of actually turning to religion, which actually places us back under the sway of the wicked one, rather than living by faith and abiding in you and experiencing your grace. Lord, may we not replace our relationship with you with rules in our attempts to follow you in our own strength. Lord, the enemy wants nothing more than for us to try to white-knuckle our way up Jacob's ladder to live a life of frustration, anxiety, and despair. May we be a reflection of the freedom that you have offered to the world through faith in yourself. Jesus, we need you right now, and so Holy Spirit, speak for your children are listening. We pray this in your precious name, amen. Well, I want to begin with just this declaration that you and I are engaged, whether we know it or not, in an unseen battle, in an unseen war. And I want to begin with the words of Jesus himself, because Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 43 to 44, speaking to a bunch of jewish believers those that were following him and and in awe of his miracles and his signs and and were traveling around following him because they 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 were trying to figure out is this guy the messiah or not and he says to them he says why do you not understand what i say it is because you cannot bear to hear my words so there is something that is blocking your understanding you're blind essentially and then what does he go on to say? He goes, you are of, this is the reason you can't bear to hear my word. This is the reason you don't have understanding because you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Now, I just want you to take into your mind this moment because Jesus is speaking to Jewish believers. And for him to say that their father is the devil would have been quite offensive. Uh, For they believe they are the chosen people, the children of God. And Jesus says, no, you actually have a different father. And because you have a different father, you actually desire to do his will. And what was the will of the father? To kill the Savior. And what Jesus is saying is, your desire to kill me because you don't like what I'm saying is a revelation that you actually belong to a different father. Father. Then I belong to. For what did Jesus always say about the will of the Father? He says, the Son of Man has come to do the will of the Father. I only do those things which please the Father. Jesus was the perfect revelation of what obedience looks like when they saw Jesus they weren't seeing God in the flesh they were seeing man as God intended man to be one in total dependence upon the father empowered by the holy spirit and it offended them for that perfection was a light that shined into their darkness and what he's revealing to them is that there are two there are two realities that you either are children of the most high god through faith in Jesus Christ or you are children of the devil and there is no other in between option now that fights against our modern sensibilities, doesn't it? That there really is, like we see in Lord of the Rings, a battle between good and evil. And he says, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And what did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount about murder? He said, whoever hates his brother without cause. And, and, and these, as he's speaking difficult words into them, what are they feeling? They want to... They want to see him killed. They, they hate him because he is revealing to them their own darkness. What they don't understand is that the darkness that they are under, the blindness that they are experiencing, is because they are under the sway of their father, the father over this world, which is the devil himself. And he says, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies now what i want you to notice from this particular text that jesus says about the devil notice that jesus doesn't say anything about the devil uh, uh being portrayed in the way that we see in our in all the films that are coming out about demonic possession and it's not that i don't believe in the very real oppressive realities of the demonic world but i just want you to know that 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 kind of oppression that you see in film, although it's exaggerated, is a reality. It is a red herring. Because the primary work of Satan goes mostly unnoticed, not only by the world, but by followers of Jesus themselves. Because his primary work as a liar is to tempt and accuse i like to say the one-two punch of satan is this is the temptation to play upon your sinful nature to play upon your flesh to to tempt you to go back to death and slavery rather than to abide in christ and so that this is the classic temptation do it it's not that big of a deal that these these ways that things play out in our minds it's not that big of a deal listen god will forgive you he'll forgive you it's grace And then the moment you fall into the temptation and you give yourself to it, what's the the follow-up punch? What's the knockout punch? Accusation. God will never forgive you for that. I see that reality played out all the time. I know that because I sit with people in my office and talk to them about the struggles that they have and why they can't overcome particular sin patterns in their life. And and a lot of times is that there's an absolute ignorance of the spiritual realities that are at play in our lives. Now, I want to give a just... A sidebar statement because I'm not telling you to look for the devil under every rock. And there are plenty of Christians that look for demons under every rock. And I also will just say straight up that if Satan died today, you would continue to sin tomorrow. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a real spiritual force at play behind the powers of and the social structures and the governmental structures and our very world in which we live, everything behind it, there is a spiritual reality at play and it's moving against us, against Christ and against God's work in the world. And this is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He's talking about very real personal evil that is working against creation. And this is why we're told in Romans that all of creation groans awaiting its redemption. That though the, the scripture declares that through the atonement, through the work of the cross, Jesus is victorious over the works of darkness, we live in an age of grace. There is a now and not yet reality to what we're dealing with. And Satan is a defeated foe, but he is still active and because he's defeated he's even more dangerous and we need to understand what is going on in the world in which we live and what's going on even in our own lives and that spiritual warfare is a reality you know i was myself it wasn't that i didn't believe in the demonic i just was indifferent to it because i hadn't really experienced it tangibly until door of hope began in 2009 and there was something about being a church a block off of Hawthorne that really just seemed to bring demons out of the woodwork. Let me just tell you. And, and, and believe me, I remember Tim Mackey and I dealing very specifically with a very unexplainable supernatural oppression of a young woman in which we had to go to the hospital and the doctors didn't even know what was going on and i see the effects that when we let the sun it says do not let the sun go down on your anger and give a foothold to the devil there are realities that open us up to spiritual domains that are active and real oppressive and are here to bring death and destruction But what I want us to see are the subtle ways in which the enemy attacks us and how it is that we can deal with that. So let's get into the text and actually see what Paul has to say to the churches in Galatia, which he seems to be challenging them on the dangers of going back to Torah, to God's good and perfect law. And he says, listen, to go back to God's good and perfect law is to actually continue to live a life of imprisonment under sin because the law can't actually bring righteousness and it can't bring life all it can do is reveal how broken you are so the law is impotent in its ability to save so that's been his argument up to this point point. and he says that all of scripture is imprisoned everything under sin and so what we're going to see now is he's going to say listen everything is imprisoned under sin which means that the law can't save because the law just reveals how sinful we are And the law and sin itself is imprisoned under a domain, a cosmos that is controlled by demonic powers. And that may seem sensational, but Paul never means it sensationally. He means it very practically. He's a realist because he has seen the carnage that Satan brings upon the world. And so here it is. If we don't believe that there's an enemy, we're not going to be prepared for the attack. And so look at where he begins. So in Galatians chapter four, verses one through three, I want us to, I want to just begin with this statement. We must understand our enemy. I didn't say we must know our enemy. Knowing our enemy, we're not trying to get intimate with the devil, okay? We're not, we're not demon chasers. We aren't even trying to storm the gates of hell. Uh, It says that Hell will not prevail against the church, but Jesus taught us very clearly that we are to pray every day that God protect us from the evil one. That is, keep him away from us. Guard it. We don't have the ability in our flesh to fight against the enemy. Only Jesus, the victor, has power over that spiritual enemy. And it is our abiding in him that we're able to actually engage in the battle. And engaging in the battle is not going out and fighting against the enemy what i'm going to point us to again and again is that actually the way that we fight against our enemy is by actually abiding in christ by actually remaining intimate with him is drawing near to god that actually is the means by which we resist the devil and he flees from us so when i say understand your enemy it's that we must understand what's at play behind the world in which we live So here he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, and here he's continuing his analogies of the the law itself as being a guardian and that the law itself is is, is imprisonment because the law is incapable of setting us free. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians. And it's interesting that he doesn't say under his parents, but it seems to be under tutelage. And some have argued that what Paul means here is that he's under abusive tutelage, abusive guardians that make, to treat him like a slave rather than a son. Uh, that's not really what he says, but he just says, but he's under guardians and manages, and manages until the date set by his father. And I think that what, what he's saying in regards to the, in, to the context, when we look at verse three, which it says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, that is that we were blind to the demonic forces that were in controlling us, is that a child in its ignorance doesn't understand the lack of freedom that it has yet to experience because it hasn't yet experienced it. And so he's saying, listen, these guard, though he's the gu- owner of everything, he's actually under a guardian, so he doesn't have the freedom to actually exercise what is rightfully his. And he says, in the same way, we also, and the, the switch that Paul uses from from we Jews to we as in Gentiles and Jews, he's saying something very specific. He says, when we were children, we were enslaved, and here he's making the statement, to the elementary principles of the world. And he's not talking about being physical children, but he's talking about the before we, before we moved into relationship with Christ. He's carrying on the analogy. And, and, and here is, is what he is saying here. In verse 3... By using the personal pronoun of we, he's blurring the lines between the Jews and the Gentiles. And what he's saying is this whether under the law or a Gentile without the law, everyone apart from Jesus is enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. And that's a fascinating statement. So that would be an offensive statement to those Jewish believers, and it would be it would be an offensive statement to the Gentile believers who are trying to go toward Jewish law because he's saying, listen, Without the law or with the law, outside of Jesus, you're a slave. And you're enslaved to something bigger than even sin itself. You're enslaved to the dominions of darkness. You are actually enslaved to the father of this world, which is the devil. And that's why this message is entitled, Who's your daddy? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I was trying to think of the worst title for the sermon, and that was the best I could come up with. Yeah, you know, I'm always trying to compete with Corey Tenboom's favorite book, Don't Wrestle, Just Nestle. Uh, and, uh... <laughs> but it really is a question of who is your dad. It's a question of, and, and here's what's fascinating is here he's saying, understand the enemy. Your enemy is so persuasive so infiltrates every arena of existence that we don't even understand it. And what he's saying is that a child can grow up his entire life and not even know that he's basically been treated like a slave because he's been told he's an heir, and yet really he's just been a slave. He's had no freedom. And so here you have this, this fact, is that, is that 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, when we ask the question of, what are the elementary principles of the world? I would argue that the elementary principles of the world, based upon what Jesus said, based upon what Paul says in Ephesians and many other passages that we see throughout the Scriptures, is that the elementary principles of the world are the power structures of this world, both seen and unseen, and that behind those power, behind those power structures, there is personal evil. That's what he's saying. And so this is a fascinating thing is that Paul now is taking the law which is good and perfect and holy given by God to the children of Israel as the parameters the boundaries by which they were to live until it was a temporary boundaries until the coming of the Messiah the law actually became a tool in Satan's hand to draw the children of Israel away from the living God and to place their attention upon the keeping of the law in their own effort. Self-righteousness. So the devil took the good thing, the law, and he twisted it toward his own evil purpose in order to enslave men and women. I like what John Stott says about this particular text. He says, he says listen, uh, God intended the law to reveal sin and drive men to Christ. Satan uses it to reveal sin and drive men to despair. And I think that that is a very profound way of considering uh, this reality. And so this is the thing that we need to understand is that the skepticism often that we feel toward the supernatural uh, in, this, in our age of enlightenment. But notice that in all of our age of enlightenment, I, I've read enough philosophy now over the last Whatever, fifteen years, that I have discovered that nobody, nobody, has come up with a reasonable explanation for evil. that uh, nobody has. Uh, the only thing that we have uh, is God's absolute dealing with evil once and for all in Jesus, uh, and in. And there is a supernatural reality to this that even philosophers have acknowledged that there is evil that goes so far beyond human comprehension, whether it's the Holocaust or whether it's the, the I mean, just think about the amount of people that Stalin killed under his regime. Uh, the, the, the atrocities of genocide in our lifetime, the, the mass shootings that are occurring on a regular basis the dehumanization of women through the porn industry all of these things there is real evil behind these structures personal evil that is actually meant to dehumanize for the for Jesus himself said that satan is a thief who comes to kill steal or steal kill and what destroy destroy we don't have to look too hard to discover the reality of that. There's a heaviness to that. We say, oh, that's just people being people. Really? I mean, there, there, is that just people being people? Because there seems to be demonic empowerment in some of these acts of evil that goes beyond our comprehension. It's not. It goes beyond my comprehension. How a man can walk into two mosques and shoot and kill over 50 people it goes beyond what I say is acceptable human behavior, even for someone that's mentally ill. There is something supernaturally evil that inspires these things. And for us to ignore that, and to not recognize that, then it, it hinders our ability to see the subtle ways in which evil plays itself out in our own lives. So, we need to understand our enemy. We need to understand what the scripture has to say about spiritual realities. you want to know how powerful the elementary principles of this world are? They're so powerful that many of you right now are sitting here listening to what I'm saying, listening to it through the lens of the culture that has already influenced you and blinded you to the truth of Scripture and to the truth of Jesus. And you're testing what I say and what the Scripture says based upon what the world has told you. What is the influence behind that? What Scripture declares is that the influence behind that is Satan himself. And so, what we have to ask is the question is, what if we need to understand our enemy, okay, we can't know him, we don't want to know him, we need to understand that he's working, what's the answer? And the answer is found here in Galatians chapter four, verses four through seven, when Paul basically gives to us a robust vision of the gospel itself, and we need to know the gospel. We need to understand that there's a real enemy at work in our world that is trying to destroy our lives and the lives of those around us. And the powers of those principalities of darkness are at play everywhere. But here is the good news. And this is why the good news is such good news. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Notice, full deity, full humanity declared right here. This is... This is the gospel incarnation, born of a woman, born under the law. This is important as well, that Jesus isn't just God in the flesh entering into the human experience, but he is actually subjecting himself to the weakness of the human experience by placing himself under the curse of the law, under the imprisonment of sin, even placing himself into the midst of a cosmos that is enslaved by the elementary principles of this world. So what we have here is Jesus entering into all of those realities. This is why it's so powerful when Jesus said, when Paul says of Jesus that, that he became a curse to free us from the curse. That he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. I love this. It says, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem. That is to purchase freedom for those that are owned by this thing, this burden under sin, under the elementary principles of the world, under the law. He came to free us from these things that enslave us. And he did it, and it cost him greatly to redeem. I always would say that, that for us, the gift is free and must be freely received, but it costs God his son. It says, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons now if we were to go back to the analogy that he uses in the beginning in verses one and two notice the challenge of that analogy He says that a son whose inheritance awaits him is basically has no freedom he's essentially a slave until he comes of age but paul blows that analogy out of the water and says no it's actually even more than that he never finds freedom from his current situation until he actually enters into an entirely new relational place which is adoption it's he he can't he can't graduate from the law into freedom he actually needs something different and this is paul's answer it's the christ event that actually changes the trajectory of human of human history and so he says, who are under the law so that he might receive adoption as sons. Once again, that use of the language, he's, there's not, this isn't a sexist statement. When he says that of men and women that we all are treated as if we are sons of the Most High God, it means that when the Father sees us, he sees us as perfected in the Son. This is a powerful truth because notice what it goes on to say it says redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and because you are sons god has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying abba father and that phrase abba father literally is the phrase of a child it's like saying daddy but when you pray with me just don't use daddy because i don't know why it always makes me feel weird uh so and if that's you i'm sorry I just like to pick on that. Uh, so, it, but that it, you're actually closer to the truth than I am. I'm just I'm awkward because maybe I didn't grow up with a dad, and I, I don't. I, but I guess my kids call me daddy, so it's not it's not inappropriate. The Abba Father. The, the, the idea, though, is that childlike faith. That when we when we place our faith in this redemptive work of Jesus, that we are our whole trajectory changes. That we who are once imprisoned under sin under the dominions of darkness have now been brought in to the kingdom of light and we have been given the spirit of god within us that cries out abba father so you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son then an heir through god notice that what he doesn't say is that and those of you that keep the law find yourself free no keeping the law keeps you enslaved to the law Only entirely new relationship, an entirely new environment can create an entirely new experience. And so this is the powerful picture that we have here, is that within the gospel, the outcome is not going to church, reading the Bible, praying, practicing fasting, or the multitude of other spiritual disciplines. The outcome of the gospel is is relationship intimate knowledge of jesus which should be the foundation by which we enter into those practices but you see the issue is is that because we don't know the gospel we often enter into knowing about jesus but we do not know him intimately that is tozer asked the question that i always found extremely uncomfortable when he said if god died today would it make any difference in your life tomorrow And that's a very, very challenging question because for those that are blind under the sway of the wicked one that are not abiding in Christ, it wouldn't. And for those of you that understand the gospel practically but have not experienced it intimately, there's something problematic and the enemy is quite happy with where you're at. Because the enemy's fine if you want to be a powerless Christian because all it does is diminish the power of the gospel when it's proclaimed. But the power of the gospel is when a life has truly been touched by the living Christ. I met with a Jesuit priest this last week, and it was a really powerful experience on Monday. And he was saying, he goes, he goes, you know, you Protestants, I love that, he began the sentence with that statement. He goes, you guys always think that it's us who's, you know, driven by guilt and shame and works. You're the ones that are all about your works and all about your guilt and shame. You're always you're always talking about how sinful you are. He's like, but aren't you in Christ your new creation? And sin is an accident. He's like, it's not the real deal. It's not the image of God. And and we focus on the image of God. And I was like, you're kind of blowing my categories. And I don't know if this is true for every Catholic, but for this guy, he clearly walks in an absolute experiential intimacy with Jesus on a daily basis. And he said, part of it is believing that I'm the beloved. But one of the enemy's great works in our life is to help, is to blind us to the truth of the gospel that we are forgiven. That we have been taken out of the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. That Jesus Christ took that darkness into himself and he made a public spectacle. Listen to these words. Colossians chapter two, verses 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. That's past, present, and future. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This is he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And then listen to this statement. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in himself. What a powerful passage. He has forgiven us all our trespasses. And I think that that is a powerful picture of one of the ways that the enemy continues to infiltrate the effectiveness of the church is to keep us feeling condemned, to keep us feeling unforgiven, to keep us paranoid and unwilling to open up our lives to relationship with Christ and relationship with others to keep us focused on the wrongs that have been committed against us to keep us embittered against those that have hurt us to keep us away from the unity that is found in christ when when the church truly puts jesus at the center of everything i believe that the gospel alone can set us free from those lies and the way that we actually understand our enemy is by being a people that daily preach to ourselves the gospel. And here's the thing is that what, what are we being set free from if we don't recognize our desperate need for Jesus, our brokenness, and the, and the tendency that we have to actually listen to the lies of the enemy rather than to listen to the love that comes to us from the king. First Corinthians chapter two, verses nine to 12 says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear has heard the heart of man imagined, but what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the spirit for the spirit searches everything, even the d- depths of God for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, Notice that. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. You cannot arrive at Jesus through your logic. In fact, sin has actually imprisoned everything. And because of that, it requires God's actual infiltration into our lives and an actual revelation of himself for us to understand. Karl Barth, who in my mind was the most brilliant theologian of the 20th century and wrote five million words in his church Dogmatics, says that the, the study of God is impossible without God's direct revelation. The revelation that comes through Christ alone. And this is not... The logic of the world, you guys. This is not what our schools are declaring. It's not what our universities are declaring. It's not what our politics are declaring. In fact, when you find religion in politics, it's just religion for the sake of backing that particular political side. No, in these systems. This is why. This is why I think that Elul is right, where he says that our kingdom is not of this earth. And our loyalty is to King Jesus and King Jesus alone. It doesn't mean that we aren't to be good citizens, but we need to understand and we need to go into this world with eyes wide open that the world is blind under the dominion and sway of the dominions of darkness. And we who have been freed from that cannot effectively bring light and vision to the world, calling people into the love of the Christ who comes to seek and save that which is lost if we ourselves are still acting like we're lost. We need to understand what we've been saved from. We need to realize what we have received as an inheritance. We are adopted and we are sons and co-heirs with Christ. He loves us. I always encourage people that the means to victoriously presenting Jesus to a lost world is to know in the depth of your beings experientially that on your worst day, Jesus is crazy about you that you cannot make him love you any more or any less. He loves you fully as if you're the only one to love. Jesus loves you. You need to hear me say that to you today. If you are struggling with that belief, I want you to know that the enemy has lied to you. Jesus loves you. He's crazy about you. So, know the gospel. We need to discern the danger. Look what he says in verses eight through 11 formerly when you did not know god you were enslaved this is fascinating enslaved to those that by nature are not gods and i, I put up here just interpretation of what he's saying demonic because he's not saying that these weren't real per this wasn't real personal evil that was at play in their false religions and their false beliefs but that there's there's active this isn't The God that we are called to worship, but these are small g gods. These are demonic realities. These are powers and forces that are at play behind your false religions. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Why would you turn back to the demonic? Jesus has made a public spectacle of them. They've been defeated. Why would you go to a defeated foe when you can live from victory? Victory is not something we as Christians move toward. It's something we live from in Christ Jesus. That's why the, the, the essence of the Christian life is not faith in Jesus to get us out of hell into heaven. Faith in Jesus is meant to get God out of heaven back into the human heart so that we can be in right relationship with him. This is eternal life, John seventeen three that they may know you, the living God in Jesus Christ, your only son whom you have sent. So he says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You want to go back to slavery? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Now he's saying, this is really fascinating. He's saying, listen, you who once were practicing your pagan religions, worshiping demons and not even knowing it, now... You've come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and you're listening to these false teachers and these false teachers are declaring to you that the way towards sanctification is actually to practice Torah. And I'm telling you that to go to Torah is to go right back to the same place that you were when you were worshiping false gods. He says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Man, what is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, replacing relationship with rules is demonic. Peter saw the devil as our primary adversary. When you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And how does he do this? Well, one of the most powerful ways that the devil has impacted and infiltrated our lives is actually through the church through false religion through legalism or even through liberalism you can be you can be dead right in your orthodoxy it's possible i heard a teacher once say that you can have the bible and believe every word of it instructionally and be without the spirit of god and it's a dead book in your hands have you ever been to a dead Orthodox church? And I don't mean Orthodox in the, in, in, as in Eastern Orthodoxy. I'm talking about a church that believes the basic tenets of the faith, but actually has no spirit, the spirit of Christ present in it. <laughs> Someone's like, yes, I have. <laughs> we all have. And what we need to understand is that we all, if we don't have a discerning spirit, if we're not yielded to the reality of Jesus, we ourselves could find ourselves there. I don't know if that was a proper sentence, but you get what I'm trying to say right now. And this is the fact, if you look at the history of, of many of the mainline denominations that started beautifully and pure and strong, think about the movements that came out, the Methodism that came through the preaching of John Wesley, and look where that's at today. Churches that deny the deity of Christ, that once were, once were fully fully orthodox in their beliefs, now completely denying the authority of Scripture, the deity of Christ, the way of salvation. Just know this, that the enemy's work within the church is always subtle. And the fact that we lack discernment means that we often don't know when we're being taught error because the flesh wants to be given teaching that makes sense in our modern world. And so we're we're not comfortable with the ethics of Jesus' kingdom. So this is where it all begins. It begins by giving in on, say, the sexual ethics of Jesus. I don't like those. That makes me uncomfortable. That's a hot issue. Let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about the sanctity of life. Abortion, that's uncomfortable. Let's move away from that. Let's get away from the ideas of of marriage that's archaic. You get rid of these things that seem like on the out, that aren't that big of a deal. I promise you, they're a big deal. And you start to pull the blocks and the entire foundation goes because you can't have Jesus as your Savior and reject Him as your Lord. And He has the right to define right and wrong. Don't you understand that the first sin in the garden was our first parents defining for themselves what is right and wrong? That has not got us very far in society. It actually, every time we try to correct a wrong in our society, what we've proven is we create new wrongs. New issues, new problems, because that is the world under sin, under the dominions of darkness. And so when we reject the authority, I I believe in Jesus, but I don't like the church. I believe in Jesus, but I don't like the Bible. Whatever it is, I say all of these things lead to a lack of discernment that allows the foundations to be pulled out from underneath us, where we begin to create a Jesus in our own likeness, rather than being turned into the image of Christ by our yieldedness to him. And what, the early, what this church is doing is fascinating because Paul recognized false teachers as Satan's servants. He says, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 through 15, listen to this. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He doesn't appear as a red man with horns. He doesn't look like Tim Curry in Legend. And if you don't know what that movie is, you need to watch it immediately. It's the greatest fantasy film and Tom Cruise looks epic with long hair. (laughs) But Tim Curry's this big horned devil, epic low voice. Uh, And and that's, that's our idea of the devil. No, the devil is beautiful. Disguises himself as an angel of light. One of the reasons that Satan is so effective within the church is because he takes truth and he bends it just enough to make it not truth. It's always so close to the truth that it's very difficult to discern that deception is entered in. I pray that you are a discerning church, that you would call me out if I enter into error, if I ever diminish the power of the gospel, if I ever diminish the deity and the saving power of Jesus Christ, if I ever toy around with his ethics to make our church seem more acceptable to the society and the city in which we live, I shouldn't be your pastor. And I believe that we have a responsibility to know how to discern the dangers that are at stake because there's a tremendous amount at stake right now. And there is a lot of pressure on the church to collapse under the systems of this world. Colossians, I, I, let me just finish this, this verse. I like this. He says, Disguise himself as an angel of light so it is not strange if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. One of the greatest tools that Satan has utilized in the church is false teachers. And false teachers, let me just tell you, are almost never aware that they're false teachers. False teachers often think that they are presenting to you the righteousness and the truth. A new vision, a new way of looking at the gospel. Gospels Think about guys that have risen up in in evangelicalism even in the, last, in the last 10 years that were powerful communicators that have fallen to sin or even even worse, fallen into false teaching. I can think of one powerhouse teacher uh, that was that was massive and a massive influence on millennials, and that was Rob Bell. Where's Rob Bell now? What did Bell do? He began to pick the foundations of the Christian faith, question whether do you need the virgin birth, do, is, do we need to believe in hell, Isn't, doesn't love ultimately win, starts poking at these differentiations. He's literally come to the place now where Jesus is not the only way. It started on the, it just kept getting more and more broad. And I, I think, I don't believe that Bell was going out of, I don't think he thinks he's deceiving. I think he thinks he's setting the church free from the tyranny of archaic practices. And so it is that we find that these are the dangers that come. So it is not strange if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. And notice what they do. Here it is. This is so fascinating. These elementary, you're going to turn back to these elementary principles. You're going to go back to the demonic by observing the law. Wow. The law that was given by the true God to go back to that is to actually go back to the demonic because the law was a temporary boundary and that freedom is found in Christ. You want to go back to enslavement, try to live according to the law because you can't. And this is exactly what Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17 says. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regards to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Anyone that makes a demand on you to keep these holidays, to keep these practices, to go back to Torah, you need to... Think about, there are lots of conversations in the church right now about spiritual practices. Notice what it says. With regard to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath, these are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you for the freedom that we have in Christ. And listen, those who live truly in the freedom of Christ will often be be, uh, accused of being libertines. Because... It's all about the relationship with him. It's not about the things that we do. And this is why I am not a prescriptive preacher. And those of you that want more prescription from me, are, I'm sorry, that's not what you're going to get from me. Because what I care about is the centrality of the gospel. You keep the cross central, it'll work the peripheral out. Each one of you are hardwired to know Jesus in a unique way. And I want to encourage you guys toward the practices that, that are driven by relationship. And relationship is just much more... Nebulous, and and some people like to read through the Bible cover to cover. Some people like to to focus on one verse for three months. Some people like to pray at 6 a.m. on Tuesday, and the rest of you are going to hell, I guess. No, that's not the reality. I'm not going to get prescriptive with you. I I think there are certain things that Jesus is just clear that we're supposed to pray without ceasing. We're supposed to gather regularly, but notice all the things that he calls us to do are all built around this idea of right relationship with him, right relationship with others. But there's a multitude of ways in which we can engage in spiritual practices to grow into the likeness of Jesus. And so here we find the answer to how it is that we fight against the the lies of the enemy. Look at finally with me at this verse. Submit yourselves therefore to God, James 4, verses seven through eight. Submit yourself to God. How do you fight the enemy? You submit, you surrender your autonomy. You are not your own God. You are not your own Lord. Give yourself to Jesus. Surrender is the key to our freedom. And then he says resist the devil. And how do we resist the devil? And he will flee from you. Notice, if we resist him, he'll flee from us. He doesn't say fight him. It says resist him. And how do we resist? We resist him by drawing near to God. What the devil is scared of is Jesus. And when Jesus is in you and with you and you abide in him, the devil doesn't want to be anywhere near that. He wants to get you away from Jesus. He wants you to return to your old ways. He wants you to turn to your own self-righteousness. He wants you to focus on your spiritual practices. He wants you to become disgruntled with your spiritual practices and go back to being carnal. Whatever it is, as long as it isn't abiding in Christ, he's happy. But the key to fighting the devil, to resisting the devil is actually remaining in intimate relationship with Christ. I believe that our experience with Jesus is actually meant to be experiential. And I'm not afraid of saying that. And I think that we should not be afraid to take that step of faith to ask that Jesus would make himself known in tangible ways by the power of his spirit, that we would be a spirit-empowered people to live out the light and the love of Jesus, that we would resist the devil by drawing near to Christ. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Do you believe that the Jesus that we talk about is the Jesus that's here right now? He is. He loves you. He's with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. We are functioning from victory. We're not working toward it. Amen?